Welcome to the That's My Financial Guy podcast with Brian Haney, founder of The Haney Company, financial guru who looks great in pants and helps people understand their finances. I have a fantastic guest speaker, Gaston Escudero. So the first thing we need to address is the elephant in the room, your name. I get from that that it's like what you must be from Iowa. Is that is that yes? Fair? Born and raised actually a little bit uh, actually in Kansas. Okay. Born and raised in Kansas with go. that name. No, I'm just kidding. Yes, so I'll just get out of the way now and have it be the 15th time of the day. Uh, Gaston is from the uh, the Beauty and the Beast movie. Perfect. Back in '91, and the answer is no. I was not named after the movie. It's a family name. So my father, my grandfather, all Gaston. It's a French name. So when the Europeans okay. took over South America back in the day, that's how the European descent got into South America. So I'm actually Spanish with a, with a French you know, name you know, with Gaston. So but yeah, I've been getting it my whole life. So it's all good. Perfect. <laughs> hey. All right. So we're going to start off. We're going to have some fun because yeah. our audience has no idea who you are other sure. than the fact that you're not the Beauty of the Beast guy. Yeah. So yeah. – so, not as mean and arrogant as 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 the character too. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. So, all right, let's get real talk now. What's the longest you've gone without a shower? Um, I'd say probably about a week when I was 15 in Mexico. I went to Mexico probably 12 years in a row when I was little with my family, and I just I wouldn't shower while I was on vacation. I was either in the ocean or the pool, but I haven't I didn't use soap or shampoo or anything or step foot in the shower Perfect. until uh, the day of you know heading back home because my mom. You know, wanted me to shower before we got on the plane. So that's wise. I think about that's an hour, parenting. about a week, not showering in Mexico. Awesome. Um, was long as I've I've gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's <laughs> right. That's good. Okay. Um, if you could live anywhere in the world, where would you live for a year? For, for a year, year uh, Mexico. For me, you know that perma vacation mentality of being able to live in a country where the cost of living, your dollar can get you so much more than what we're sure. accustomed to. And just that easy feeling lifestyle and the food and being around the beach and just, you know, the, the weather's even better down there than it is in, in Orange County, California. That's where yeah. I was raised, you know, believe it or not. That that perma vacation would be really, really cool if I had the resources to, to do that and not, you know, get fired from my job and all that. But if I, if I have a guaranteed job security when I got back, 12 months in Mexico with the right person would be a cool place awesome. to live. Yeah. Awesome. Love yeah. it. Yeah. Would you rather go to space or the bottom of the ocean? You know what? I thought about that and you know what? I think that there's less unknown in the ocean than it is in space and both quite frankly freak me out. Perfect. But I think that we have a little bit more intel in the ocean floor than we do in the, you know, the infinite amount of space that we, you know, we, there's so much more we haven't even discovered yet. It sounds terrifying. The movie Gravity with oh, yeah. Sandra Bullock. I, I think I only watched the first 20 I, minutes. I think it's categorized I, as I a horror I had too much movie anxiety officially. watching yeah. Just its first 20 minutes yeah. of George Clooney, I, I, I stopped it because I was like, you know what? I have way too much anxiety. This is not joyful. So <laughs> why the heck would I ever want to be in there? So Perfect. <laughs> yeah. All right. And so besides this one, yeah. what podcast do you like the most? Yeah. So I, you know, I'm in financial services and, you know, I, I live and breathe, you know, reading the Wall Street Journal and reading economic reports and, and this and that. And so my life is consumed, which I love, but I think it's really important to let your mind get away from that. So I, I, I listened to a podcast that my mom, uh, Melanie Escudero, told me to start listening to, and it's called the Oprah Winfrey Super Soul Conversation Sundays. And essentially Oprah, you know, everyone knows who Oprah Winfrey is, but you just think of her as like this talk show you know, lady, but she has so much more. You know, She's written a lot of books, 
But her biggest principle is that so many people aren't present in, in day-to-day life. Yeah. You know, they're not really taking care of their mind. They're not taking care of their spirituality. Um, there's so many distractions. And so essentially Oprah will, will interview you know, famous athletes and famous executives and the greatest thinkers uh, the world's ever seen and hear and, t- and talk about how they're able to stay, stay so locked in and perform at such a high level with so many distractions. And so the Super Soul Sunday podcast just lets you get in in touch with how these high-level executives and performers stay there and how important it is to be present and be mindful and taking care of your mind. People don't take care of their mind as much as they, they should. And so meditating is almost like working out yeah, for your mind. Absolutely. You, know, you want to work out your, you know, your gut, you want to work, you know, get the abs, you want to get the biceps, but people don't really work their minds. Yeah. You know, it's a muscle as well. So I think that's what really kind of gets me away from my day to day is listening to Oprah, you know, a few times a week. And Tom Brady's on there, Jeff Weiner, the CEO of LinkedIn's on there, Joe Biden, you know, Michelle Obama. There's just a lot of really cool, famous people that have the same issues that we have on a day to day basis. Yeah. But they I think are able to kind of harness that a little bit better than we can. So fascinating. Yeah. That's kind of cool. Yeah. All right. So now, now the good stuff. Yeah. So let's talk professionally. So I'll let you just kind of frame for the audience what it is you do and high level and and granularly. Yeah. So I'm in, I'm in the financial services industry, (laughs) just, just generically. And then within that, I work for a, um, an alternative investment global firm. And so in a nutshell, what that means is that we're investing in non-traditional asset classes. So for instance, easy example, you know, you want to have access to Amazon, right? You like what Amazon's doing with the supply chain, what they're doing with industrial. There's multiple ways to access Amazon. You can buy a share of the company. Yep. Maybe you, you like the growth trends that are going on. You buy a share of the company. If you can afford $1,800 a share, you know, very expensive, but if you can, you can buy you know, share of the company. Or maybe if they're issuing bonds, you can be a creditor and buy one of their bonds. You're still getting access to what they're doing, but maybe it's not a growth play. It's more of an income play with a bond. What my company does is rather than buying you know, the stocks or the bonds, we're buying the properties that landlords work or that uh, Amazon's working out of. So whether it's the warehouses yes. or the distribution centers or just the stores in general they have, we're the landlords. So Amazon's essentially paying us rent and we're getting rental income every month from that. And so that's what we do. Layman terms, if you will. Awesome. And so in your particular professional area of expertise, how would you describe it? Yeah. So for me specifically, I'm a wholesaler. So meaning Mm -hmm. I wholesale the investments that my company distributes out. And so essentially I'm meeting with financial advisors um, across the Northeast and I'm talking to them about you know, maybe their clients could use some more income, more diversification, yeah. get out of the you know, get a little bit out of the stock market. So my expertise is being an alternative investment consultant, and I can sit down with a financial advisor and have a mutual fund with maybe some more liquidity, meaning you can get your money out easier, or maybe a private real estate investment or yeah. a 1031 exchange, which we're going to get into today with yeah. you know people that own rental property. So I have a lot of menu of alternatives that can help clients increase their income diversification. So that's really, I'm an expert, I, I believe, in, in alternative investments yeah. and the different types of alternative investments, and then also 1031 tax-deferred exchanges for clients that own rental property. And so perfect segue. So let's frame for yeah. the audience what 
actually a 1031 exchange is. Yeah. And also maybe if you have like a hypothetical example sure. that you see as a common situation yeah. where somebody's going to yeah. be considering that. Yeah. So a 1031 exchange, again, in, in layman's terms, you know, 1031 exchanges have been around for 75 years. You know, the, the IRS, the tax code, it's been around for a long, long time. And it's now becoming a lot more well known for another structure, which we're going to get into. But the 1031 exchange generically is it allows you to sell a rental property that you own that's been appreciating over X amount of years. Mm-hmm. So, for, for example, you bought um, an office building you know, with, with you, you and your dad or you and your mother bought an office building you know, a couple of years ago. It's been appreciating, right? So maybe you bought it for half a million dollars. It's worth maybe a few million today. And so there's a lot of gain in there. And if you were to sell that property and there's a huge tax liability, right? Uncle Sam's going to be taking a huge chunk of that of that gain. And so doing a 1031 exchange allows you to, rather than paying the taxes there, which is very criminal, a uh, huge chunk, you can 1031 exchange and roll that gain into another property. Mm-hmm. And as long as you're replacing that gain into another property, that's what a 1031 exchange is essentially. And so you're deferring the capital gains tax. Mm-hmm. And you can 1031 exchange property to property for the next 100 years if you want. But the caveat is that it has to be a rental property, right? And it has to be something called a like-kind property, meaning it can be an apartment building, an office building, an industrial building, a grocery center, you know, shopping center. As long as it's a rental property of some sort, you can exchange out of your apartment building you own into an office building. As long as you're deferring the taxes and not accepting the proceeds, you know, you can keep the 1031 exchange intact. And so the 1031 exchange is very, very popular because so many people have owned real estate, you know, that, that have been passed on. It's been passed down from generation to generation. Maybe your grandfather was a real right. estate owner. Yeah. And so maybe there's like five, 10 million of gain. You know, maybe they bought a property 50 years ago or something. Yeah. And, you know, they're not here anymore and, and you're tired of owning the real estate. You can 1031 exchange out of it and, and continue to, you know, to defer your taxes. And that's really a huge way to, to accumulate tons of wealth by not paying, you know, taxes um, when you're selling a rental property. So that's what a 1031 exchange is in a nutshell. Perfect. Yeah. And now yep. within that though, because yep. yep. it sounds, I think probably most people say, well, that sounds pretty great, mm-hmm. but there's always a little fine sticking point. So yep. I know there's... If I'm not correct, yep. there's some timing involved. Yes, and there's and there's also probably some numeric elements or percentage elements yes, that I think right. yep. kind of make those work. Can you describe those a little yep. bit? Yeah. So of course, right? There's always there's always okay. It sounds too good to be true. You know what's the catch, right? right? So doing your traditional 1031 exchange, there's a few do's and don'ts and a few very important timelines to your point that so many people forget about. Yeah, and so the number one. There's two things. One is you have to make sure if you're thinking about selling your property and you want to do a 1031 exchange, you need to call a local qualified intermediary. So qualified intermediary, you know, QI. So you know, Q as in queen, I as in you know, ice cube, QI. And the qualified intermediary is the facilitator of the 1031 exchange. Mm-hmm. And so they're the whistleblower. They're the, they're the middle person in between you selling the property and then you rolling it into another property because you can never never accept the you know the proceeds. Right. That can't be why that can't, can't have a construct you know a construct of receipt. You need to you know open up an escrow account with a local qualified intermediary that will help make sure there's no funny business going on. Typically, the local attorneys mm-hmm. and so they'll open up a 1031 escrow account. 
So that's really important to have that in place. So there's no timing issues after that. And the second important thing is that as soon as the the money is wired from your sale to the escrow account of the of the QI mm-hmm. I just mentioned, you have a 45 day window, you know, clock that starts immediately. And that's not 45 business days. That's 45 calendar days. Right. So that's about three months that you have to go out and find another property to identify. So the 45 day rule is called the identification 45 days. So you have 45 days to, okay, you sold it. You're doing a 1031 exchange. Now you have 45 days to hire a broker to go out and help you find another property. But the issue sometimes that you can run into is that with a 1031 exchange, you have to have the loan to value of the property to match up. So hypothetically, you sold a property, you know, it's worth a million dollars and you had 50% loan to value. So half half of that it was used it was debt, right? So that's 500,000. You would need to go out and find another property with at least 50% loan to value in order to exchange it or there's no tax consequence. And that's just a very easy example. It can get a lot more difficult if you've paid off your debt over a certain amount of years and you have a lot of capital gains and then your cost basis, meaning it's depreciated down over X amount of years. There's a lot of complications in finding the perfect property that will line up with the amount of leverage you know, mm-hmm. ratio that you need. Yeah. And so that if you don't have an expert broker or have some type of an expert that can help you with that, you might run into issues finding the perfect property in three months. Right. And so th- those are really the most important um, rules to make sure you're aware of is the 45-day rule, the leverage ratio of the property you're replacing into to make sure it's equal or greater than what you're selling, and then of, of getting a QI set up before you even are thinking about doing a 1031, I'd say. And so those, I mean, obviously it might- Yeah follow suit that those are probably the areas that are most commonly missed. People take it into their own hands. Yep. They don't know. Don't have yep. the right parties involved. Absolutely. Think yep. that they've got this, you know, these funds now. And so they go and buy exactly. a property in cash when exactly. there used to be debt. And, yep. And another but, another part is yeah, it's very important to defer your capital gains. And you know, that, that you know that's the biggest incentive driver. But what you're exchanging into is just as important. Right. And so, you know, whether it's exchanging out of you know an office building into an apartment or into a retail center or into a duplex or whatever you're doing, what you're exchanging into is, is just as important. And so right now in the current economic environment with, you know, overall real estate's relatively expensive compared to where it was 10 years ago. And so if you're replacing something just to replace into something, so right. you might rush the process. Oh, I found a property. I, I want to I want to do 1031 into that even right. though it may not be in the best interest given the current environment. Sure. And so a lot of people will just rush to find something that's available just because they want to avoid the capital gains tax hit, mm-hmm. but they're not really having that thoughtful you know, process of really taking the time to find something they really want, right. and it's in the right sector given the current environment, Sure. if that makes sense. Yeah. No, it, it does. It absolutely does. Yeah. So- the the other acronym we're going to throw in yep. is it is it is the concept a DST and yep. how they can yep. become a potential yep. opportunity for people that might find themselves in this situation or at least in a position to be considering a ten thirty one yep. exchange. So let's talk about yep. that for the layman sure. and kind of sure. frame that as to how that can be a solution. Yeah. So for anyone out there that you know you know you own rental property or you know someone that owns rental property, I just I just had a meeting today with an advisor and he told me that his his grandmother has owned rental property for 45 years and in the taxes 
and the maintenance issues and getting calls in the middle of the night from tenants. You know, I like to say the three T's, toilets, tenant, and trash. There you go. That's, it's very nice and it's very cool to say you own a rental property, but there's a lot of costs and headaches associated with that. Absolutely. And so a lot of commonalities that people don't take into account is that how often are you increasing your rents? How long do you have vacancies for? Because a lot of times you you want to increase rents and then you approach the tenant and they say, oh, okay, now I'm just going to move out. Oh, no, 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 stay, stay, stay. So you're not increasing rents with the, sure. with the local com, you know, comparables in the area. And so how often are you increasing rents? How long are you having vacancies? How much money have you put back into the property for repairs, a leaky mm-hmm. roof, right? Getting calls in the middle of the night. It's very expensive, you know, owning and renting a real estate out to someone. And so there's a solution for all those headaches I just mentioned, plus the, you know, selling the property and avoiding capital gains. Right. And so this is where the DST you mentioned comes in, which is called Delaware Statutory Trust. And the DST came out in 2004 because the demand for so many individuals, especially baby boomers that mm-hmm. are nearing retirement yep. or someone that's not in that good of health or you're just tired of owning real estate with the active management and the headaches of it, the DST you know, was structured uh, in 2004, which is a passive investment vehicle with prepackaged properties in the portfolio that allows you to 1031 exchange your gain into this pre-existing portfolio of real mm-hmm. estate. And so going back to the 1031 exchange, the property that you own mm-hmm. is called the relinquished property. Yep. And then you have the QI, and then the property you replace into is called the replacement property. The DST is on the replacement property side. So everything's still all the same, but rather than you having to rush in 45 days to hire a real estate broker, pay them a 6% commission, mm-hmm. and rush out and maybe not find the perfect property for you, the DST that my company manages, we go out and we buy billions of dollars yep. worth of real estate and yep. we'll maybe put four or five of those properties in one single DST and it's passive site. So you don't, you can give up active management, but you're still also deferring the capital gains tax mm-hmm. like you, you initially wanted, yep. but you don't have to go back to actively managing real estate. This is very baby boomers. Of course, I mentioned before people that are tired of owning real estate and then you know, again, people that are, are not, that are not in so good health. And so the DST is a great passive vehicle and solution. We call it a 1031 exchange securitized investment vehicle. Securitized meaning that multiple investors can exchange into this DST. Mm-hmm. Because you know, hypothetically, you know, a DST has 200 million worth of institutional real estate property. There's multiple investors that can get access to this pool of real estate that are looking to do a 1031 exchange. They're looking to avoid taxes and they're looking to do it in a passive way. And so the DST gives you that very great passive nature. And just last year, the DST industry raised $2.5 billion just last year. So there's a huge demand for everyone that wants to do a 1031 exchange, but they're tired of the active management. Yeah. And back to your original point yeah. about, you know, hey, wouldn't it be great if... I could get access to this real estate opportunity that, frankly, probably the average layman or even somebody that has wealth, but it's illiquid wealth, right? Real estate wealth. Just real estate in general. Right. Doesn't this definitely could create an opportunity to to say, hey, I can be now 
more strategic yep. in the types of holdings I'm pursuing because yep. I don't have to just do it on my own. Yes. And I'm not necessarily that limited. That's exactly right. Because if you're, you know, we'll take Silver Spring, for example, Maryland. If you've owned and occupied real estate in Silver Spring for 30 years, you probably only know Silver Spring. Yep. There's a lot more opportunities across the country in little pockets throughout the country where there's unbelievable real estate opportunities. And I'll give you an example. Over the last you know, 10, 15 years, you're seeing this huge shift in the demand for rental housing versus buying a home. Yeah. Right? Income growth hasn't really kept up with home price appreciation. Student loans right now are getting out of control. Almost two trillion Absolutely. of student loans. The majority of those loans are within the millennial generation between 22 to 34 years old. And so this by association is causing just this unlimited demand for rental housing yeah. versus owning a home. And so where are, are all these millennials moving to in pursuit of a higher quality of life, in pursuit of maybe a cheaper cost of living? They're moving to the Southeast. They're moving to Texas from California. They're moving to Florida from New York City and Boston. Nashville, Tennessee, Charlotte, North Carolina. They're moving all over the South Sunbelt states, you know, from Texas all the way from the southern tip all the way up to, you know, um, Atlanta, Georgia. And so you're seeing millions and millions of millennials leaving these the LAs of the world, the New York mm -hmm. cities of the world. I mean, I lived in New York City and I was spending 50% of my income on my rent, yeah. which is out of control. I mean, that's extremely cost burden. And so what did I do? I left and I went to Dallas, Texas where my rent now is 21% of my annual income. Yeah. And that's just just a generic, you know, simple apartment. It's nothing fancy. And so you're seeing tons of millennials doing that same thing. And so this is called a demographic shift that you want to be a part of because sure. this is a demographically driven movement. It's not a cyclical movement. This right. is a demographic exactly. movement. You know, it's not buying a hotel and writing up how well the economy is doing so people are going to want to travel more. And then when the recession happens, hotels, you know, turn mm -hmm. the other way. This is a demographically driven trend, which is, only going to become more and more known in the next 15, 20 years. And so what we do is we invest in the Southeast and we invest in apartments in the Southeast. But we'll take it one step further and we know that there's an affordability issue going on with the amount of student loan debt. Mm -hmm. Income growth really hasn't kept up and grown as quickly as home prices are. Sure. But also brand new high-rise apartments, like the ones I lived in New York City, all the finishings, the marble countertops, all, you know, all the sexy things that we like. There's rent that's associated with a lot of those Absolutely. expensive apartments. Absolutely. And so the average rent right now, even in the Southeast, the average rent for a brand new apartment is around like $1,600 a month wow. for a one-bedroom. Wow. And so what we do instead is we're buying older apartments that were developed maybe 35 years ago, buy them cheaper, and then spending a few million in renovating and updating the units where they're already starting at a cheaper rent base and then we can grow the rents every year because this is a lot more of an affordable option for these millennials are only like 20% of their income mm -hmm. is going towards our rent. So there's a lot more room to grow our rents. And so that's kind of the little pocket and asset class that someone in Silver Spring probably knows nothing about. True. Although maybe unaware that that's going on and there's a tremendous buying opportunities right now with these apartment, you know, class B that we call. And so that's something that, that someone out there could get access to is this is really cool opportunity in the Southeast with, with affordable housing. Yeah. If great, that makes sense. Great example. Yeah. Now let's talk about the vehicle specifically yep. and just kind of some of the FYIs or FAQs yep. that people are going to naturally have Ask, in yeah. terms of, okay, well, once the money's in there, 
What happens? Again? What do I need to know? <laughs> so the DST vehicle, uh, I'm going to go over, I'll go over the vehicle in just a sec, but I'm going to go over the seven benefits of a DST Perfect. versus doing your own 1031 exchange. Love it. Um, so passive versus active, right? So the DST, which the, the obvious is that it's passive. Mm-hmm. No more toilets, tenant, and trash. Trade that in for tea time and travel, right? Tea time and there travel. So that's well, now that's you're a little that's a, that's a little bit of a better for, for you know for folks that are they're tired of getting those calls in the middle of the night. You know, why not just accumulate my wealth and do everything I want to do, but I don't have to do it myself. I'll pay someone else to you know worry about the headaches, which is you know the company that I work for. So the passive nature is very obvious. And you know, I work for an institution that's been around for a long time with with billions and billions of dollars of assets under management. Mm-hmm. And when you're an institution of that caliber, you get access to better debt financing, yep. better terms, right? And so you get access in the DST to pre-existing built-in institutional financing that you wouldn't get going out and buying a property on your own. So the interest rates are a little bit lower. It's more fixed and it's non-recourse. So you can't come after the company's you know, personal assets if can't pay it back, which most retail clients will probably get a recourse loan of some sort, especially given today's environment. And so institutional financing is very important that you get with the DST. The third one is that typically you get access to higher cash flow. This late in the cycle, you know, you're not really growing rents as much as you think you are. You know, hopefully you are, but you know, sometimes you're not. And if you've owned the property for more than 27 years, then you know, you don't have depreciation benefits. You don't have tax deferral anymore. And so that cuts your income almost by a third every yeah. year. And so getting access to higher income stream with the DST is something that clients typically experience right away. Is this an increase in income? The fourth benefit is that you get the depreciation start over. Yeah. So a lot of clients are individuals that have owned property again, going back for more than 27 years, you don't get tax deferral anymore. You have taxable income every year. And so by rolling into a DST, you get that to start over from day one. So you get depreciation benefits. And so you're increasing your income, but you're also increasing your tax sheltered income again. So you finally get to be part of the, t- of the number one reason for real estate is the tax deferral income is, is a big uh, benefit of, of real estate in general. So that's the fourth benefit is the tax deferral you get. The fifth benefit is the diversification. When yeah. you do your own 1031 exchange, you have one property in one market with one tenant. Something happens with that tenant or something, a storm happens or whatever it is, that's a lot of risk and a lot and most of the time your rental property is a, is a significant amount of your net worth. Yeah. So having all your eggs in one basket can be very risky. Yeah, it's active and you get to make the day-to-day decisions, but there's a lot of risk involved too. So the DST with some of ours that we have, we have 3 4 5 properties in this DST that you get a percentage ownership of all of them. And so diversification amongst, you know, geographically and markets-wise is what you get versus doing your own 1031 exchange. Mm-hmm. And then the sixth benefit is that if the client or someone that owns rental property that's thinking about, you know, the DST sounds of interest to them, something happens to you or to someone you know, the beneficiaries get a complete step up in cost basis when they're in the DST. So that entire tax liability that you're deferring and waiting to pay down the road completely goes away if that person passes away. So it's almost a great estate planning perspective sure. from that end Absolutely. that if you're not in not so good health and you want to leave something for your kids or for your grandkids putting into the DST almost sets you up to relax and knowing that your you know your beneficiaries are taken care of with that step up in cost basis so that's another benefit and then say the um, one of the last benefits is that because it's securitized so there's multiple investors mm-hmm. doing this into the inside the DST 
uh, rolling their gain from their sale into the DST, that creates smaller minimums. So it's only a minimum of a $100,000 investment yeah. to get access to $200 million worth of real estate. So you probably can't get access to that doing it all on your own. So it's just higher quality real estate. Those are really the the, the generic benefits of a DST mm-hmm. versus doing your own 1031. And then to, to answer your original question, a lot of questions I get are, okay, when can I get out? Mm-hmm. What's the income? What's the tax treatment of the income, which I just mentioned, you get tax deferral. You know How illiquid is this thing? If I do pass away, can my beneficiaries get out early? So my company, we have a publicly traded real estate investment trust on mm-hmm. the exchange, yep. which is in the same asset class as the DST properties we have. And so something happens where you want to get out early. This is typically about a five to seven year hold, right? We have a 10-year loan on these properties. So it's a 10-year hold, but we see ourselves having a liquidity event, selling these properties to some type of a buyer in, in year five to seven. So that I'd like to say it's a five to seven year hold, but if for some reason you'd like to get out earlier than that, our publicly traded REITs could actually purchase uh, your interest at fair market value. Yes, that will be a taxable event, but if it's an emergency, you can get out earlier if you need to. Uh, and also, if that client passes away that's in the DST, the beneficiaries, maybe they want to get out, our REIT can buy their interest out at fair market value as well. Mm-hmm. And then the income uh, with our DST, you're going to see income every year anywhere between 5 to 7% starting at 5 and then growing our rental income from the, the affordable apartment story I mentioned yeah. in the Southeast. Yeah. Our ability to grow rents and have rents grow as the economy is growing like it is now and then have it be affordable if the economy takes a turn. Mm-hmm. That's very important to cover your downside but also capture some upside. Yeah. So, so what what tax form are they going to get when they're receiving that? Um, so it's very similar to a 1099, but because this is a DST and it's considered yep. a a 1031 exchange, you know, replacement property, it's something called a grantor letter. Yep. It's same thing as a 1099. It's just called grantor letter. It's a little bit fancier yep. uh, literature um, and, and text because it's 1031 exchange as part of the tax code. So it's called a grantor letter, and you get that once a year, mm-hmm. you know, February of the following year. And then you get statements every every quarter on how the investment's doing. Great. And you mentioned that there, you know, we already mentioned the minimum. Is there anything else in terms of like the accreditation yep. level, some of the other elements that somebody makes sure that they, they yep. size up so that they could be sure. available to go into this? Yeah. So the do a DST, it's illiquid in nature, right? It's a passive ownership vehicle. We manage the properties for the clients to keep the 1031 exchange intact. Um, you have to be accredited client. So you need to be worth a million dollars, not including your primary residence or have an annual income of about 200,000 yep. or so. Okay. Um, so that's really the, the accreditation, which, you know, if you own multiple properties, you're probably somewhere near there, if not exceeded that. So, but that's really the, the biggest thing is if you're a credit investor, you can access the DST. If you're not, then you, the only option is really doing your own 1031 exchange. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, Lastly, yep. if you're a real estate professional, yeah, how can you be mindful of this? If you're a realtor, commercially yeah, or, absolutely. Or, or you know, residentially, yeah, you have some vested interest in in looking at properties, sure. but but being aware that there may not always be a property based solution. Yep. What might be something that you would say to that real estate community to say, hey, you know, how this can be of benefit to you? Yep. Yeah. No, absolutely. I think it's very important that you brought that up because I, I make a point to always talk about the 1031 exchange and the DST specifically with CPAs, yeah. with real estate attorneys, with real estate brokers, anyone 
that has any type of incentive to know about what's going on in real estate. Sure. It's very important because when you do a 1031 exchange, you have a real estate broker that sells a property. Mm -hmm. You have a CPA that can figure out the title of the property. If it's a partnership, if it's an LLC, that can get complicated. Tax consequences if you were to you know pay the taxes. So having a CPA involved, the real estate broker is you know, selling the property, and then you have to have a financial advisor. Right? You can't get access to a DST unless you go through a financial advisor that has this approved with their broker-dealer because a DST is a security. Yeah. Your, your big you know, Wall Street wirehouse firms don't have access to DSTs. So typically, independent broker-dealers mm -hmm. are the ones that get access to the security, which is approved for the advisor to use for their clients. And so having an advisor that has access to a DST is also part of the equation. And then having a sponsor. You know, I'm the sponsor of the DST. Sure. So there's a lot of people on your side that are part of the whole equation. And so the real estate broker that you mentioned, it's very important because if you're a real estate broker, you probably know what a 1031 exchange is, but you probably don't want to, you don't know what a DST is. Yeah. And why it's important is because you could probably increase your sell volume sure. substantially if your client knows that they could sell out of the property, avoid taxes, and go into a professionally managed pre-existing portfolio of real estate and do Absolutely. a 1031 exchange. And so, yeah, you're not going to be part of the, the buy and the sale, but you can increase the sale site. Absolutely. And- you know, I could refer, referring to a real estate broker that you trust. So I think that that also just brings another value add because there's real estate brokers are a dime a dozen. There's tons of real estate brokers everywhere. Yep. But if you can bring them a DST to a client and educate them on that or allow, allow someone else to educate them on that, I think that you'll start increasing the volume because more people are going to want to sell. Sure. Because knowing that they could really, really increase their estate, their income, their taxes, everything. Yeah. Well, Gaston, thank you for coming yeah, in. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, we appreciate me. it and look forward to a lot more in the future with you. Yeah, appreciate it. That was another great episode with Gaston Escadero, who is the Regional Sales Director with Next Point Securities. You can find Gaston online at www.nextpointadvisors.com or send him an email at gescadero at nextpointsecurities.com. Thanks for listening to this month's episode of the That's My Financial Guy podcast. We hope you enjoyed yourself. If you'd like to get a hold of us, you can find us online at thehaneycompany.com or on Twitter at The Haney Company. The information provided in this podcast is not intended as specific tax or legal advice and may not be relied upon for purposes of avoiding any federal tax penalties. The Haney Company, its employees and representatives are not authorized to give tax or legal advice. Individuals are encouraged to seek advice from their own tax or legal counsel. Individuals involved in the estate planning process should work with an estate planning team, including their own personal legal or tax counsel. The information provided here does not constitute personal financial advice, but is meant as the conveyance of information for educational purposes only. All investing involves risk, including the risk of loss. Past performance is not indicatory of future returns. Guarantees are backed by the claims-paying ability of the insurer. Brian Haney is a registered representative of Coastal Equities Incorporated and an investment advisory representative of Coastal Investment Advisors Incorporated. Investment advisory services are offered through Coastal Investment Advisors Incorporated, and securities are offered through Coastal Equities Incorporated, member FINRA CIPIC.